0: Hello! Happy New Year. Well, not quite yet, but it will be soon. Uh, I'm Ted Prozelski. It's another episode of Words and Work. Uh, Today we're going to have Alexis Gunderson, who's with my union, the National Writers' Union. Uh, They just completed, well, it's probably going to be ongoing, but um, a statement on generative AI for, uh, for the Copyright Office. And um, if that sounds dull, this actually means a lot to people who are uh, professional writers. Um, and um, there's a, a few different issues going on that you might not have thought about with it. And uh, she can tell you a little bit about that. Um, She'll talk a little also about her work as a television critic. I am actually um, going to break this up into two episodes uh, because there was a lot there. So um, here we go with part one. Thank you. All right. We've got Alexis Gunderson here and uh, she's with uh, the National Writers Union, which of course I am with as well. Um, and I want to ask, first of all, so you, uh, the, the kind of writing you do, you do television criticism as well as some other things, and that's your main bread and butter.
1: Yes. Yeah. That is uh, my beat.
0: Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, just curiously, uh, or curiosity sake here, um, mm. what, what are you watching these days?
1: Oh, um, well, I'm trying to get, I did a list a couple of years ago for Vulture of Australian television um, that American audiences can stream. And we're in a real, right now we're in a real boom. And so I've been watching a lot of different Australian shows so that I can uh, convince them to do a follow-up list of of even more Australian TV for American audiences to stream. So um, that means this week I've been watching Colin from Accounts, which is on Paramount Plus is a comedy, like a romantic comedy, um, kind of in a cringy way with a dog, a rescue dog. And then Fisk, which is a legal comedy on, and that's on Netflix. It's about a, what I can't remember, probate, probate uh, law, probate legal. I don't know. So um, that's like wills and stuff. And then on hulu there's a show called the artful dodger which is not a remake of oliver twist it's weirdly like a surgery show it's it's the idea is that the artful dodger has hide himself to australia uh, back in the 1800s and has become a savant surgeon but back in the days where surgery was the town entertainment attainment and mostly it's just a bunch of amputations um, and then Fagin shows up and tries to get him back into the world of crime it's a very bizarre concept for um an IP character but I enjoy it yeah
0: um and just because we had uh J.P. Riley from um the Writers Guild um if you want to just explain for a minute what the difference is between the Writers Guild and the writers union and this never involves street fights
1: no (laughs) no street (laughs) fights we Um, just get out
0: there with with pens and mechanical pencils would be
1: a duel at dawn um also in the artful dodger there's a duel at dawn uh no the difference between the writers guild of america is the union for screenwriters in the united states and it started you know back in the early back in the golden age of Hollywood and the golden age of union creation, it was there was a real sweet spot moment um, in labor history in the US where Hollywood unions were able to um, coalesce without as much friction or opposition or union busting as, as a lot of other industries would see and even other parts of the Hollywood industry would see further down the line. There is actually a great history that we've got two NWU members who have written pieces recently that any of your listeners who are interested in this history of the WGA um, would want to check out. Tammy Kim has a book review in the New York Review of Books from, I want to say October. I don't remember the title of it right now, but you could just look up E. Tammy Kim, New York Review of Books and you would, and, and WGA, and you would get that. And then Chris Randall, who is also a member of uh, uh, one of my fellow members on the steering committee for the Freelance Solidarity Project, he has a piece up at The Nation about the history of um, the WGA and strikes in Hollywood. So, uh, yeah, you could look up Chris Randall at The Nation and E. Tammy Kim at New York Review of Books to get more more about that history, but. Basically, the Writers Guild of America is for screenwriters in Hollywood. So when they say writers, that is what they mean. They specifically mean screenwriters. There is Writers Guild of America West, which and which is mostly the entertainment business. And then there's also Writers Guild of America East, which there are you know SNL and all the Law and Orders fall under Writers Guild of America East, but also. Um, back in 2018-ish, 2017, 2018, 2019, that's when a bunch of digital media unions started to form. Lots of lots of shops at like Gawker, RIP, and Jezebel, RIP. You know, well, newly not RIP, but you know, a lot of these places that uh, were digital media, digital only publications that were digital only wanted to unionize, and many of them unionized with NewsGuild, but. A lot of others, especially on the East Coast, um, unionized through WGAE. So they're actually, um, we've got a pretty strong connection uh, within the NWU to Writers Guild of America East just through all of the different digital media shops that are out here on the East Coast that we have, you know, that we just have, we work in coalition with, we have um, connections on their unions. Uh, within their unions so people we connect with in order to talk shop talk solidarity do that sort of thing and then the national writers union is an open union it's an independent union it started in 1981 um, with the idea that writers in the more colloquial sense the more conversational sense of novelists and ghostwriters people who write words for a living but aren't aren't in the same category as screenwriters that we should be able to work collectively towards improving our own labor conditions um that's a little bit of a a weighted question a weighted idea in the united states Um, labor landscape because all writers are independent contractors and independent contractors are small businesses and we're all in the same business. And so there is constantly the, I don't want to say anxiety or threat, but there is the possibility that someone could look at a bunch of writers working collectively towards improving our labor conditions and say, hey, that's antitrust. Um, our position in the NWU is that it's not that we have every right to collectively organize and and rally and work together to improve our labor conditions. We know like there's there's a legal limit on that. Uh, currently, we cannot collectively bargain contracts on behalf of all freelance writers, but up to that level, up to that limit, there is a ton of opportunity for writers to collectively bargain. So the NWU has been around since 1981. In in many situations uh, in the US, when you call something an open union, it isn't necessarily a good thing. In fact, it's usually a bad thing because that is one of those misleadingly positive sounding terms that, uh, especially conservative states and pro-business legislators use um, in order to weaken unions and so most open unions exist in right-to-work states and the entire purpose is to weaken a union in a workplace by making it so that the union uh, can't force new employees to join when they get hired on at a company and so over time um, those those unions just fade away for lack of um, dues support, really, and lack of solidarity. In our case, and the NWU, it, it, I think it's one of the rare instances. I mean, I would love to find other instances where it's a positive thing in the US, but it's very positive for us because the idea is that anybody can join. If you are a writer, you can join the NWU. You don't have to, we don't share Uh, We don't share one employer. We don't share one contract. We don't share one. We don't even share one discipline within writing. Um, I know you're a sports writer uh, and and in journalism. I do TV criticism. We've got fellow members who are novelists, fellow members who are ghost writers, travel writers, editors, copy editors, technical writers, uh, content marketers. And then um, within my division, which is the uh, digital media division of the union is called the Freelance Solidarity Project. That also started around 2018 when those digital media shops were organizing through WGAE. Um, Our division organizes people who work within digital media across the board. So also podcasters and illustrators and animators and photographers, photo editors. Um, If you are into the digital media space, the idea is the forces that are making it hard for any one of us to earn a living are the same forces that are making it hard for everyone to earn a living. And so the, the idea is that by working in solidarity, we can push back. And, and the more we have, the more of us there are, the more of us there are, as Nan Golden said, just <laughs> earlier last week.
0: So um, I wanted to talk about the the big issue at hand. I, I know it was part of the WGA strike, mm-hmm. Um The uh, generative AI is what Mm -hmm. it's called. Um, So could you explain what it is and why writers are concerned about it?
1: Yeah. So generative AI is, it's a slightly misleading name, but I think it's, you know, language is what people use and that's how people are using it. So it's sort of what we're stuck with. Um, But the idea... Generative AI is a technology that uses patterns um, that it, it builds off of its statistical probability and modeling, and it requires um, the technology eats a bunch of material, uh, written material, visual material, turns that material into data, and, and then Reconstitute, you know, finds patterns in that data and reconstitutes um, all of those, all of those, all of that input into output for a given prompt, say. So if you, if someone puts a prompt into a generative AI program like chat GPT or all of a sudden, Everything except chat GPT has left my brain. But if you put a prompt in saying, I want a cover letter for a job with NASA, it will search all of its millions and millions and millions and millions of sources, uh, material that it has scraped to build, um, to build its model, and it will find patterns figure out the patterns are like, what words usually go together when this is the context and then spit things out. And so you end up getting something that is for the most part brand new, but only exists because of all of the material, the human created material that was scraped to uh, create the modeling system on it, on it, at its base. There is, I mean, one of the arguments that the technology companies make is that you know their algorithm, like they wrote the algorithm. That is the power of the of the technology, and that's true. But without so without the algorithm, the technology wouldn't work. But simultaneously, they could have the best algorithm in the world, and if they had no scraped material that they were building that that base with, um, that algorithm would just be you know uh, scraping a vacuum. It wouldn't it wouldn't have anything to pull from. So the there are uh, I mean it the working group within the union who has been focusing on this I mean we've met every other week for most of this year to talk about it and and I think I think it would be fair to say that we've only like scraped the very top layer we've only touched the very top layer there are so many different conversations to that we could have in this about this technology and the anxieties that people have around this technology but some you know for creatives in general there is the concern that this will that this technology and the um not just the advent of the technology but the embracing of the technology by a lot of different sectors will just diminish the value of human creativity and will uh further push human creativity into a space that's not taken seriously and not given um given the respect that, I mean, like that is how humanity has survived based on creativity. Um, And there is a real concern there. But then within the union, we are a labor union. So we are focused mostly, most squarely on labor issues. And there are a lot of different labor issues with generative AI um, within something like digital media or where there's a lot, where what you're doing as a freelancer is a lot of gig work, um, and especially these days, like as a TV critic, I was talking about lists, the kind of list I was, I'm was i writing, I always try to write really interesting lists, but SEO, um, like all of the different like SEO demand, between SEO demands and what the vulture capitalists who buy digital media companies and don't actually care about the product, they only care about the ad revenue and the clicks. Like they don't want a list that's actually interesting and full of like... <laughs> I'm sitting here spending literally dozens of hours watching a bunch of Australian TV so I can have something interesting to say and can confirm that, yes, I have watched these and I can, as another human being, can tell you that this is worthwhile and these are connections that they have. That isn't something that the Click Farm um, ad revenue hawks. That's not what they want. They just want a bunch of titles on a list that somebody might click on and then skim through and then click on another thing so that they can just keep getting ad hits. Um, so there is the fear of a lot of freelancers are losing work to generative AI existing um because either uh, staff jobs are being lost because now the vulture capitalists can. Just turn to AI and say, "Hey, um, spit me out a list of all the Marvel movies in order." Doesn't matter if it's wrong. We, you know, that gets us more clicks. You know, they, it truly doesn't matter. They just um, can make it an AI system spit that out and put it up on on the web and have people click on it. Um, a lot of copywriters, content marketers, I know are losing work because they are uh, the places that would normally hire uh, freelance copy mark. Um, Copywriters or content marketers are dropping their rates precipitously. Like we, we have a document that we're um, keeping updated on an ongoing basis that is uh, evidence of displacement. And there's one, um, and one report in there about from a content marketer who saw a job posting and they copied it in for us of someone as, um, asking for content marketers to apply for a gig. For a penny a word, which is like, yeah, just wildly under what I don't know what con- what content um, writers, content marketers usually make, but it's not. I mean, t- even if it's 10 cents a word, we're still at a full, you know, full tenth of what they would normally get. And it was specifically listed as a penny a word because it will take you less time with generative AI. You can use AI and it will take you less time. So they're we saying each word is less valuable. Um, as a as a result of generative AI existing, um, yeah, there. I talked to someone in a staff union at a news organization who is a producer, and they were talking about like one of their concerns from within that sphere was currently like maybe on a day to day basis they have two to three packages that they're pre- responsible for producing and fact checking and getting on air and they were getting wind of the possibility that their bosses were going to want to shift to using AI more frequently. And as a result of AI coming in to help to quote unquote help with that work uh, as a producer, they were going to then be responsible for five packages in a day because AI would be doing the baseline work and the human would only have to do the touch-ups at the end, not taking into any consideration like the amount of like psychic labor and effort that goes into just getting your brain around an individual package. Like there's no time saved really in the, in adding generative AI to that system, it only increases the the labor load for that individual producer. So there are a lot of issues like that. Um, and then the other big issue, especially for writers and other creative, like photographers, artists, other creative folks with generative AI is, so that's, those are all issues having to do with outputs. But then on the input side, there's also the the enormous issue of copyright and licensing and the value of your work. And all of these Generative AI systems that already exist. Anything that you've used um, has spent the last couple of years, those developers have spent the last couple of years quietly, surreptitiously, secretly, and without uh, regard for copyright ownership or any interest in seeking permission to license. They've gone around and scraped as much material as they can if it exists on the web they have scraped it for use in their models um it's very much they are very much operating under the under the idea of uh easier to ask forgiveness than permission they're not really asking forgiveness um it's it's more like easier to claim um, too big to fail than to ask permission. Like at this point, um, their arguments again, uh, in front of the US Copyright Office, their arguments in front of Congress, their arguments anywhere it comes up, and their arguments in court is basically now that if they were to go back and either let people f- like develop a, a mechanism for individual creatives to opt out of these models and remove their material, or, and or, if they were to go back and find a way to um, fairly compensate people, creative creatives for the work that is in the database, like either one of those, but certainly, to, but uh, absolutely together would uh, destroy their business model. That, that's basically their argument. It's like, well, if you, if you make us um, agree to remove Neil Gaiman's work from our model, which is on the table, uh, and then a bunch of other writers, a bunch of other creative people, also see that that's a path and want to do it. Then we'll be left with an impoverished model that can't actually produce good output. I, mean, I don't disagree with them. We don't just you know that's that's not an issue. I mean, as a union, our position is okay. Well, that's not really our problem. Like, like that that isn't our problem. And then similar, then we've also done done a little bit of math about. I mean, very very back of the envelope, rough math, even with open AI's billions and billions of valuation dollars, trying to divide it out across just the, the estimate of how many individual works have been scraped to inform those models. Um, we came up with something like $55 ahead, like $55 per piece per, per individual creative item in the database. And that's just a one-time licensing fee that would not cover any sort of um, like residual model if we if we tried to invent a residuals licensing model to make to find a way to calculate how much of your work was leaned on for a particular output and then if that output um, you know, as that output is used, now we have to go back and remunerate the compensate the original artist for that percentage of their work. Uh, all of those, you know, none of that is, financially financially feasible um and that's that's the argument these companies are making in court and like i said yeah it's not that we disagree with the ar- argument that we're trying to poke holes and it. we're saying that they are um being disingenuous about that argument <laughs> our position is just like well that sucks <laughs> like i don't know that was that's uh, just because you came up with a bad bottle that depends on uh like basically criminal, but certainly unethical behavior.
0: Smile Pretty from Gina Schock, who, like today's guest, has ties to the state of Maryland. And uh, I'd like to thank today's guest, Alexis Gunderson. We will hear more from her next week um, because this is a two-parter. There was just too much good stuff for me to edit it down to 25 or 26 minutes. So you're going to hear more from her and more about, uh, the issue with generative AI, um, which, uh, is becoming more and more important in the, uh, particularly in the, in the sort of the creative community. Um, you know, they open up a sports page and you might find a AI, uh, generated account of the game. Um, you know, you, uh, You look at, there's a political add-on right now with AI-generated images. So this is a big issue, and uh, we're, uh, we're trying to let you know about it. Words and Work has been a presentation of the National Writers' Union Tucson chapter and Downtown Radio. Like to thank all of you for tuning in, and uh, you'll hear more from me and more from Alexis next week. Thank you.